you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And I am Jeff Milo today being joined by a local author, very local because he's based right here in our town of Ferndale, Justin Brokart. And Justin's debut book, it's called Love Stories and Other Love Stories, is out now on Long Day Press. Now, Justin's been writing pretty much for his entire life, and he's been an avid reader absolutely for his entire life but this is his debut book he has a uh, a hybrid chat book out there called skin and he has had his uh works published in great presses like uh passages north and the rumpus and many others but love stories and other love stories is a batch of i guess you would well the word we decided in our podcast was uh surreal but yeah you have eight stories here and some of them involve humans some of them involve animals some of them involve well well trains trains with actual inner monologues who are passing each other on the tracks in different directions and these are all really lyrical meditations on where we find a sense of belonging and what we want out of life and and what really is love and how do we define that and how do we sort of i guess stave off a sense of restlessness or worry about where we belong all of these stories are exploring things like that as uh, you'll hear in our discussion we talk a lot about flash fiction which is very cool and that is something justin does a very good job of with these stories because it is establishing a sense of character a sense of place and, and an emotional texture sort of in a in a hurry really because there's only so many pages in a short story but not really so much in a hurry because he's got a very graceful narrative with the way he builds all these stories. But they are all about a sense of yearning, a sense of unquenchable yearning and not really for romance per se, even though love is in the title here. These are these are different kinds of love stories. They're about communication, they're about nostalgia, and they're about home. They are about home. Justin Brokart is with us, and he calls Ferndale home, and we're very excited to have him on the podcast to talk about his debut book, Love Stories and Other Love Stories. You are a a Ferndale resident, Ferndale's own author. That's right. Yes. As of uh, a little less than a year, a Ferndale resident, but it still counts. That's great. Your, Your collection of stories... Now you've been a writer for a while and you have had works in small presses, but this is this is your debut book. Is that right? It is. Yeah, it's my debut short story collection. I had published a chapbook of strange hybrid creatures a few years back, but this is my first collection and uh, I'm really excited about it. I wrote most of these stories during the first year of my graduate program down at University of South Carolina. And as you've seen, they're, they're these strange little uh, beasts. Uh, each of them, there are eight short stories in this collection. I think each of them inspired by a different literary genre. Some of them are, are really surrealists and have talked animals. Some are a little more sci-fi and in the vein of, of Ray Bradbury, who I love. Yeah. Some are playing with form and are written in little couplets like poems. And others, I think, are more fable-like or are almost fairy tale like And so I'm excited for this to be my first book because I don't think I've had any more fun writing any other collection of pieces than I had writing these. This book is, I think there's even a blurb in this book that hints at the word fun, if not using the word outright, even though several of these stories can get rather 
rather emotional and and serious with the emotional subject matter but there is something about the way you write that 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 leads the the reader to feel as though they're maybe not sure what is going to happen next and i think that's <laughs> the fun part <laughs> there's a there's anthropomorphized trains who have their own thoughts and uh, inner monologues and interacting with other trains it's so surreal and i i guess i wanted to ask you as a writer uh whether or not you thought cuz that was going to be my first question off the bat do you think surreal is i guess the good word or or too strong a word for really what what you maybe wanted to do cuz people say surreal and they might think of salvador dali and we're not exactly melting clocks in this book but tell me about where you feel these quirky stories go uh, again there's another sort of buzzword quirky what are the words that fit you? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do think of surreal as being as being a good word yeah. uh, in this context. Um, and anytime you're stretching the world of realism to let funky things in, yeah. I think of that as sort of embracing surrealism. But, you know, there's also pieces in this book that are inspired by uh, Donald Barthame. Mm-hmm. And would, would you call his work surreal? Some of it, I think so. But to me, it is. I don't know. I don't get too wrapped up into what specifically I'm trying to do in terms of putting a name on it. I I just try to let myself get carried away with the strangeness. Yeah. Like anteaters who are professors, which (laughs) as an example, one of my favorite stories. Before I get more into the story, though, I wanted to hear more of your origin story. You are uh, a Michigander. Tell me more about where you were born and raised and then how and when you got into writing. Yeah, of course. So I, I am a Michigander. I was born uh, and raised in East Point and uh, went to school right here in Michigan at Saginaw Valley. And towards the end of my time there, I started to write short stories and had a good, a few uh, good professors point me towards graduate programs. And so I started writing fiction towards the end of my run as an undergraduate and then got into a few programs and decided I wanted to get out of the Midwest for a bit. Um, I just lived there my entire life, hadn't done a whole lot of traveling. And so I went down to University of South Carolina for my MFA. And, you know, there I was I was writing, I was publishing, I was teaching. You know, I think sort of the impetus for a lot of these um, stories are um, I was sort of confronting the idea of there being a particular type of MFA story, uh, right? The sort of epiphanic um, Raymond Carver-esque type thing. Um, And I didn't think I felt pressure from my professors specifically to be writing that sort of thing, but I think I felt pressure on myself to, to be doing that. And so what I would do is I would come, come back from, from uh, being on campus all day and Mm -hmm. uh, taking literature classes. um, And I would come and I'd write these crazy little uh, short stories that were just having fun and, and getting weird and stuff that I that I wouldn't workshop during the day. And so I, I spent um, three or four years down in South Carolina. I, I pinged out east um, to start a publishing career, a career in book publishing. And then uh, just this this past summer, moved back to Michigan mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm working out of my, my home here in Ferndale. So as a day job, um, you work in book publishing, which is a whole other thing. It's you, You're not really exerting your creative writerly voice there but you're still involved in the book world which which seems to indicate that whether writing or working about publishing you knew you wanted books and the written word to be a big part of your life do you remember any big epiphany moments in your in your youth where you knew that that was going to be your path 
Oh, no, I think I think from the beginning. Did you go I to was, the library a lot? <laughs> I did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would go to the I think East Point Memorial Library um, and I would pick up stacks of like 10, 15 books and like couldn't carry them out the door, as I'm sure many writers and, and readers have done. And so I was just from the beginning, I was obsessed with it. I, I had an older sister who would, you know, relentlessly tease me because I would I would get out and play sports and do things. But then I would just sort of crawl and find a quiet space and just tear through books um, for hours and hours at a time. Um, you know, I had a teacher in fourth grade who would give me a book, uh, you know, 300 page book, and I'd come back the next day and ask him for another. And so uh, <laughs> at some point, uh, you know, I just I just caught the bug. And I think, you know, it's interesting. It's like we're programmed, or at least I was programmed from a very young age to never expect to be able to make a living off of writing. Or to be, you know, afraid of uh, what sort of career you would, career prospects you would face um, by being an English major, God forbid, um, in college. And I think I lived that way for quite a long time. I lived that way throughout high school. I, that was obviously the only thing that I was good at. And yet I still sort of, you know, kept it at a distance. I wasn't writing. I was reading, but I kind of stopped reading as much for a while. And I thought I had to sort of button things up and, and get a proper career. And at some point, I just I realized that it was what I was good at. It was my passion. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to live with myself if I didn't try to um, make a go of it in terms of um, having a career, not just as a writer, but someone who is involved in the process of, of making books mm -hmm. um, and being in the world of books. Um, there are some writers, I think, who want to just separate those aspects of their lives. They right. want to work a day job. Um, they can go home, not think about it, and they can focus on their writing. And I was doing that for a bit after grad school, and I found it was making me miserable. I, I couldn't, I couldn't stand not being, you know, not being a part of that world in a more uh, mm -hmm. substantial way. And so it's a balancing act now. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I find that you know, I'm, I'm involved in, in both ways. I, it's got my, my creative attention and it's got my professional attention as well. You are in, involved in, in whatever capacity it takes to get a book, whether it's yours or anybody else's, into someone's hands and having That's their right. eyes on the page. That's great. Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk more about this book, which is called Love Stories and Other Love Stories. And I feel like what you've done with these stories is... You, you leave a lot to be unpacked almost almost psychologically because some of these pretty much every one of these stories is not a scenario where a person meets a person on a bench or a bar or a coffee shop and they go and kiss under an umbrella. That's not happening in these love stories, you know. But what resonated with me is that the yearning that goes on in these stories is something different. Uh, for some folks, it's kind of maybe figuring out where they belong or or figuring out maybe maybe they're figuring out what they what they hate to find what they love there's all these sort of meditations going on tell me about the the love that you were trying to find in these stories yeah i think yearning is the right word um you know i i think at the time you know my personal life was informing uh some of these which might sound funny because these are about trains and anteaters but <laughs> you know thinking about my own romantic relationships thinking about my own as i said i moved out of the midwest for the first time and so uh, you know I, I was very much conscious of not just sort of romantic yearning uh, yeah. but also yearning for a place um at the same time i was also coming to understand um, the place that I had left behind. You know, I was coming to understand what it was to be a Midwesterner, a Michigander, um, having been out of it for the first time. And so, you know, I think uh, the, the, the idea of the yearning, yearning for uh, 
you know, romantic connection, yearning for a way to communicate clearly, Mm -hmm. um, yearning for a place one left behind, yearning to just get out to experience something new about the world. Um, To me, you know, this book is is as much about yearning for a place or yearning to escape a place Mm -hmm. um, as it is sort of about romantic love. Although obviously there are a few um, stories that broach on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's other things too of just and and maybe it maybe it does sort of all uh, sort of spiderweb away from that sense of uh, you know not displacement but just sort of when you do move away from such a such a great and cozy place as the Midwest to something that is you know maybe bigger and noisier or closer to a coast you do feel uh, disoriented but like I don't know some of these stories seem to think about like uh, just longing for even a sense of peace as well uh, just peace of mind even and and then another aspect of love that it that it seems to uh, accentuate a lot is the importance of communication or lack thereof so you're exploring a lot here and it almost made you think like oh, is this an english major or is this a psychology major you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i mean i think a good writer has to get into the psychology yeah, I mean, the the communication thing is funny because, it, you know, one in one of these stories, it's called The Midwestern Man. And it's, you know, it, it, it is um, it's really an excuse for me to throw all of the sort of jokes and stereotypes about, you know, I think what what people often think of as, you know, a Midwestern man. Like, obviously, there are many different types of Midwestern man men mm-hmm. um, of different, you know, races and orientation mm-hmm. whatsoever. But, you know, I think there's sort of like this stereotype that I grew up with of just sort of the stoic, emotionally vacant, selfish, almost uh, (laughs) just sort of Midwestern figure. And so that story was a way to sort of play with the idea of someone being uh, really bad at communication, being bad at sort of expressing their own inner desires, being bad at really even understanding why one wants to leave a place. Why, you know, why does one want to leave a place? Um, I suppose just to get out, but thinking about like someone who has to figure that out on his own. I mean, uh, so the the communication um, and the idea, I think of men in general, not being good at communicating and struggling to communicate with their partners and the frustration that that can cause was something that was very much on my mind Um, as a man, as a writer, as someone who's interested in psychology, as someone who's trying to communicate better. I think this sort of it's, it's funny. I mean, people have sort of asked me why why um, why anteaters? There, there are several anteaters in this in this collection. Um, some of which are college professors and um, you know drug dealers and piano players and what have you. And to me, you know, they're such a symbol of of estrangement and strangeness and and being misunderstood and isolated and endangered. Like they're such an an odd, estranged creature in and of themselves, just in their existence. I think that it, it makes them easy, at least in my mind, to to uh, foist upon them various emotional, psychological conflicts. <laughs> just makes me want to hug an anteater right now. I know, I know. There's, what's not to love? Uh, and when we talked about communication, we should say that the perhaps uh, godmother of all romance stories, Jane Austen, uh, when we think of Pride and Prejudice, that entire book is about communications and miscommunications. You name dropped Bradbury. And so that this is where mm-hmm. I'm going to go into your, I guess, your influences when you were not your influences specifically all your life, but especially who was on your mind when you were trying to get into your love story mode. I, I don't imagine if Jane Austen was or wasn't, but were you trying to kind of ruminate on the ways other conventional love stories are told? Or did you just throw all that out the window? 
I wasn't thinking about Jane yeah. Austen. <laughs> I'll get that out of the way right. first. I was not thinking about Jane Austen. Bradbury right. is one, obviously. Um, and he was a writer who was um, really special to me. I had, for, well, for a long time I had, I, it must be on my bookshelf now, but I used his collected works sort of to hold up my uh, my laptop stand okay. here. He's a huge influence. I mentioned uh, Donald Bartholomew. Ben Laurie, who blurbed, I was lucky enough to get to blurb this book, yeah. um, is one of the only writers alive who I think is is successfully essentially just working in fable. Um, his his two books with Penguin have been um, these sort of sh- short fable-like stories. I think more so than looking at traditional love stories, I was just looking at the flash fiction form. I think there, I don't know which of these in this collection would actually classify as flash. I know there's one, The Guava Man is a longer story. Mm-hmm. The others are sort of in the in-between space, but I think of them as flash. Mm-hmm. And so think of how to create relationships that that begin, progress, and die out in a short amount of time, how to play with time, uh, how to sort of tackle adventure and personal growth and development in like a short period of time. And so I thought a lot about, uh, I I came to writing first through flash fiction before I tried anything longer. And so um, Sean Lovelace, for example, is is a really beautiful flash fiction writer who's um, at Ball State. I didn't think of the traditional love story per se, because I don't know, there's just not much about there's not much traditional about any of these. And I think at the same time, I was trying to, it was feeling at the time that I wrote these stories, it was feeling like a chore mm-hmm. to sort of think about, oh, well, there's there's stuff going on in my own personal life and personal relationships where I'm not really good at communicating. So I'm going to write this realist uh, story that's 30 pages about a man and a woman who are, um, you know, fighting over uh, various aspects of, of their, you know, relationship. And that just seemed like a drag to me. And so I, I just wanted, to, how can I, how can I do this in a way that allows me to almost disassociate and to not think of it as a love story, but just to think of it as this story of anteaters or it's various symbols and, and, and just pulling out of life uh, and just making my own sort of love story on the page. Right. And then, but also not, it's also not an like an abstraction. You know, we we know what you're talking about. It's not like it takes us to the final page of a story to kind of get what you're laying down. Even if the components or the characters are fantastical, you somehow did that where it it didn't feel like it was an abstraction. And I don't know how that was a little magic trick you did. <laughs> uh, but you know, when you think of the romance novel, it's the 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 Twitter pated the magic feeling the the you know the the, the kissing, et cetera. But what you're talking about is what happens in actual relationships, you know? Mm. That's what you really got to in this in this book. Um, but you talked about, can you, for anyone out there who isn't really familiar, I think I'd love to hear just a little bit more about what flash fiction is too, and maybe just explain to us kind of what a chat book is too, because they have been around for the last decade, but I still feel like when, when people walk into libraries or bookstores, it's sort of, that is an abstraction to them. But talk about, yeah. flash, talk about flash fiction first, because I think what is cool about your short stories is you they feel like they have a full arc, whereas a, a short story might be maybe a, just a moment. I don't know, what, what's your... What is it? Yeah. So in flash fiction, I think the, the basic definition is um, short fiction that is under a thousand words um, or 1200 words. These are pieces that some are super experimental and you can write flash fiction that is in the form of a list or, um, you know, a epistolary or a letter or something like that. Some follow something of a traditional story arc. They just practice compression um, to a really extreme degree. 
I, I think it's funny. A book comes out after years after really you've been working on it. And so I, I, the, I wrote these stories now years ago. And so I, I'm not writing Flash as often now, but it's how I came to the form of fiction at all. I think, you know, the thing that Flash fiction can do is, in my mind at least, is to freeze a moment mm-hmm. and to sort of foreground a specific moment. And in that moment, you know, you can tell a, a story of, of years or decades. Um, you, you can get at emotional texture. You can um, evoke um, what a life is, is like. You can, in, in several sentences, sweep past years yeah. um, of, of someone's life or relationship. So I think that Flash is, is fun. Um, it's challenging, but you're able to compress. You're able to play with language to make it more lyrical, um, more fun, more whimsical. You can rightfully get away with, I think, in uh, you know a five thousand, ten thousand word story. And I think, you know, as a whole, the risk allows you to take more chances with form and sure. just be a bit, a bit riskier. And so there are, yeah, that's interesting. Thinking about uh, the library in terms of flash fiction. When right. I was in college, I we had like a book collection sort of contest, and my whole table that I had set up was flash fiction um, and some, you know, anthologies. Um, there were some uh, really great anthologies that were put out um i think flash forward was one of them um i think we do own that yeah that's that's, our one thing yeah and that's a good one that's sort of the the og in terms of in terms of those um but also there are many great presses to do this sort of work but rose metal press is one and they have these sort of anthologies where they include five chapbooks of flash fiction just to to define a chapbook you know, chapbooks are these small books, sometimes uh, sort of hand-sewn, um, other times um, perfect bound. And they they are more often or more traditionally poetry, mm-hmm. um, where one might have a sort of series of 10, 15 poems that uh, speak to each other, and they may belong in conversation with each other, but are not enough to make up an entire book. Um, and I think of, you know, flash fiction chapbooks very much in the same way, like these stories in, in love stories. Um, all speak to each other. They're all in conversation with each other. It's not enough to be an entire full 200-page collection. Mm-hmm. Um, they belong in this sort of short, compressed form. And it's it's almost, yeah, it's like a series or a sampling um, of, of work. And it has a, you kind of give it as though it sounded like it has a DIY vibe to it. It's hand-sewn and it's a very special, precious thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, this this book in particular is Perfect Bound, which is great. Um, excited about that. My other chapbook, which is called Skin, is stapled. And so mm-hmm. it's a little it's a little more DIY. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's sort of this this great DIY world, uh, the, the, the most indie of indie presses, but they're, but they're fantastic. I love chapbooks. And then I had this idea. I love how you put, how, put it, how you put it back there as emotional texture. And that's what I feel like what happens immediately here with, with these stories is that in sort of that flash vein is that I felt like I, whether they're an anteater or a train, I felt <laughs> like I knew them by page two of, you know, maybe a, an eight page story or a nine page story, but uh, an immediacy of acquaintance I felt as a reader. That's something you were able to do as the writer in terms of putting these characters on there compared to Steinbeck with East of Eden. I feel like I don't get to know the characters until page 70. You know what I mean? So is that something that I guess motivates you as an author or it's something you find fulfilling? Do you write for character? You know, um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez might write for flourishing description or location, but do you like to write for character? Do you like to write for voice? What What's your vibe? What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly that's important. Um, I, I think it's I think it's feel or tone, maybe. Like I read this great a sign for me of a of a great book is when you are caught up not just like in a character's life or mind, but when you are caught up with a particular feeling that you can't shake after reading something. And I think that's that's tone. But if we're going by the elements of style, but yeah. I give the example. Uh, a writer who I like, Mary Miller, had a collection out on um, her first book with um, uh, Hobart. It's called Big World. And I finished that book and I was like in a state of depression for the rest of the day, you know, because these sort of dark little stories. That's that's sort of the the effect that I want to have on readers. Like I, I want to get you to feeling something as fast as I possibly can, <laughs> whether that's feeling, whether that's laughing um, or whether that's sort of feeling some sort of emotional pang, whether that's relating to something, whether that's um, feeling a bit of joy, whether that's uh, delving you into sadness. Like I want to get to that point as quickly as possible. And I think to what you said, and thank you, by the way, of all these nice things you're saying about the book, <laughs> um, about how you sort of have to sort of feel, you know, these characters yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of the flash w- realm, right? Like the shorter, the shorter the it is, the faster you have to um, get readers there. But it's also sometimes when you take, um, you work in these sort of non-realist genres, John Gardner talks about in The Art of Fiction, um, he uses an example of working sort of with the, the sort of fairy tale form or voice. And, you know, he's the example of like the king battened down the hatches and closed down the kingdom. And it's like, if, if you're Steinbeck, you have to sort of go through all the details of like what that looks like and how the door creaks on its way up and things like that. I think when you're, you know, working with sort of these fable-like stories, you know, you can just, you can have grand declarative sentences that just get you there faster. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that's a great that's a great point to wrap up is sort of this idea of the feeling that you're left with and especially a lot of these stories and even just off the top of my head southbound train there's a there's like this exuberant ending and it kind of i don't know it leaves you feeling a kind of way so i think you do a great job of that this book is your debut book it's out um how are you feeling and do you have future plans uh you know being an author in a quarantine almost post-quarantine world is difficult you can't really do readings but uh where are you at are you just focusing on writing new stuff yeah um i mean i'm excited i'm hoping you know you can people can order it uh long day press is the press um and so you can get it directly from long day there's a few things that are still in the works. I did a, a great reading for um, Small Fair and AWP. I have a, maybe a, a few other potential readings lined up. It's weird, you know, we're looking at each other via Zoom right now. Um, it's it's weird to do these things um, over Zoom, but I think, you know, people are doing them. And so um, I'm hoping to do a few more of those. And I, I'm i gonna keep writing. Uh, I, I have a few other projects that I'm, I'm working on, including a, a perpetual novel, um, as well as some sort of more indie DIY type projects. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna keep writing, keep publishing and um i'm excited for this book to get out there i'm I'm hoping that folks will will give it a read all right well thank you so much justin brokart ferndale resident and author we really appreciate you joining us on the podcast thanks for having me And that was our chat with justin brokart the book is called love stories and other love stories and yes anteaters are college professors trains are passing each other thinking about each other and there are astronauts and there are midwestern men and and there are even people who ruminate poetically on the specific aggravations of being a sky-high giant so some great modern fables here 
in Love Stories and Other Love Stories. We'll have more info on Justin and his book, which is being added to our collection very soon. We'll have all that and more in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, as always, to our podcast. It is the Ferndale Library podcast called A Little Too Quiet. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. You can go to ferndalefriends.org if you want to find out more on how you could support, or you could just rate, review, or subscribe. If you really enjoyed this episode, please share it to social media or just tell a friend. My name is Jeff Milo, and the music, as always, bringing us in and out of this podcast is by local musician Chad Stocker. Thanks for listening.